You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. We're starting a, a series on grace, and I am, uh, look, I'm almost beside myself with excitement. <laughs> love preaching grace. Hey? Don't you love grace? I mean, it's the, the foundation of salvation, isn't it? Grace. There's a story. Um, a young man once approached a very wealthy man and asked him the secret to his financial prosperity. Well, young man, said the rich man, my story begins way back in the days of the Great Depression. I was down to my last five cents. With that five cents, I bought an apple. With that, I spent the rest of the day polishing that apple. The next day, I took it to market and I sold it for 10 cents. With that 10 cents, I bought two more apples and I polished those apples and took them to the market the next day and sold them for 10 cents each. This went on for a while and by the end of the month I had made $3.20. Now that was a lot of money in those days. The following month my wife's father died and he left us $3 million and that's how I became rich. (laughs) There are a few different ways you can become rich. Uh, businessinsider.com says uh, you, could become, you could be a saver, investor, so you save all your money and you invest it well. You could be a big company executive and be on a, a big pay, a big salary. Uh, you could be a top expert in a field of study, so these are all ways different people make, make huge amounts of money. Or you could be an entrepreneur. Do we have any entrepreneurs, budding entrepreneurs in the room? Hey? trying we've got one (laughs) so you could work hard for it you could be clever you could be prudent you could be skilled you could kind of be a cut above the average couldn't you or the other way you can become rich is you could just inherit it it's like the the British royal family they've got significant wealth haven't they they have inherited wealth now Even though the Queen is is quite wealthy and rich and has all this inherited wealth, she still works really hard, doesn't she? She still serves her country and serves her people. And so, you know, she's often at uh, official state uh, events or international gatherings or uh, she's at state funerals and national events. She helps to strengthen Britain's economic and diplomatic ties, significant charity involvements... Uh, she, they, she supports uh, the work of the Britain, Britain's armed forces, all sorts of things that she does. She works very hard, even though she has this huge amount of money. The thing is that royals work not to earn their money, not to earn their status, not to earn their privileges. They work because of their status. They work because of their privilege. They work because of their inheritance. So they work from their identity, not for their identity. Question for you, what does a rich life look like? What does a rich life look like? Beautiful. I'm not talking about money, am I? I'm not talking about money. We all want to live a successful life, don't we? We all want to live a good, effective, successful life. We want to parent well. We want to be a good employee. We want to be a good friend. 
We want to have a good marriage. We want to be a good husband, a good wife. We want to manage our money well. We want to be generous with our time, with our resources. We want to experience peace. I mean, who here wants to experience peace in their life, yeah? Joy in your life? Freedom in your life? Yeah? Who here wants to be kind of like a good and successful Christian, you know? Like we want to grow in our faith, don't we? We want to grow in fellowship with Jesus. We want to grow in good fruit and good works. How do, we, how do we see all that happen? How, how, how does that happen? How do we become rich in all of those areas of life? Now, I could, I could show you some tips and tools on how to discipline your mind and, and your behaviour, how to discipline your thoughts or train your thoughts and improve all those areas of your life. You know, you could read books, you could take courses, you could set goals, you could do a bit of cognitive behavioural therapy or something. You could see a life coach, maybe. You could see a psychologist... Uh, maybe you could just jump on Facebook for your news feed for some little hot tips and life hacks or something. All right. Um, you know, they're not necessarily bad things. And they're reasonably effective to improve your life. If you try hard, work hard, you'll probably see some improvements across your life. That's how the world tells us to improve, though, doesn't it? And the thing is, when you do those things, they, they work for a while, don't they? And then you start to get tired. I mean, really tired, because you're always trying. You're always trying to foster up the, the, the love and the self-control and the devotion and the duty and the energy to be perfect and to be succeeding and to be conquering. You're always you're getting tired. You're always trying to be the perfect family. The perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect grandparent, the perfect student, the perfect Christian, the perfect person. And it gets tiring. What if there was another way to be rich in life? What if you could just inherit it? What if you could work from perfection rather than for perfection? Because Christianity says that you can. We get given the riches of God's grace. And it's an inheritance. It's not worked for. There are a few misconceptions about being born again. First one, it's, it's just a ticket to heaven. You know, it's kind of like you're waiting on a train station and you've got your ticket, you're trying really hard not to sin or you might miss the train or you might not be allowed on the train. Maybe God will take your ticket off you. I remember uh, my first year I went to Serbia. Um, Trevor had already gone before me. And so I flew into Serbia on my own. And uh, they didn't want to travel the three hours to come and get me. So they decided to put me on a bus instead. <laughs> so I'm in Serbia. This is the first time I've traveled overseas. Seriously, like I'd never been overseas. So I'd made my way across to Europe on my own. Got there okay. Phew. Anyway, and they decided to put me on a bus. So uh, they had someone meet me at the airport who I didn't know, just some random person that kind of seemed like the right one from the photo I'd been sent. Anyway, he took me to the bus station, bought me a ticket, and then said he couldn't come through the, the little turnstile gate. So he's like, well, there's your ticket, bye. And there I am, waiting at the bus station with my ticket, petrified that I would miss the bus. And I didn't want to set a foot wrong. I just stood there looking at my ticket, looking at the bus number, waiting, 
for the bus because I did not want to miss out on that bus because no one spoke English. You know, salvation is not like that. It's not a train ticket that we've got to stand there and be petrified that we're going to miss miss the, the bus or get on the wrong bus or someone might come and take us somewhere we shouldn't be. Anyway, the second misconception is that salvation is just an entry point into God's kingdom. So it kind of gets you through that narrow door. Uh, but after that, you need to work hard, really hard for fruit and for success in your ministry life. It's the old saved by grace but living by works thing. Next misconception about being born again, that there's a hierarchy of spiritual power. You know, some people get more, some people get less. Next misconception, we need to supplement what we have with uh, ongoing experiences and top-ups, ongoing blessings, recharges of the Holy Spirit. You know, you need to climb the mountain to the holy place. You need to, to work hard to get into that intimate place with Jesus. You need to do things to increase your spiritual power. Next misconception, faith is something you use to influence God. You know, if I have enough faith, God will do whatever, X, Y, and Z. I'm going to get the victory because I've got enough faith. You know, I think sometimes this is how we think. I think, you know, I've been a disciple of Jesus for a while now. And disciples are known by their fruit, right? Disciples are known by their fruit. And I should therefore be growing in my spiritual life and seeing all these sorts of amazing things that, that I think I should be seeing in my life by now. But, but I don't seem to be seeing them. I don't seem to be changing all that much. And, and I'm not seeing the fruit. And I need to see more breakthrough in my life. We compare ourselves to others, don't we? Oh, and I bet we've all done that. I've done that. We compare ourselves to others. They're doing this amazing stuff in God's kingdom. And we don't seem to be doing all that amazing stuff. So we start to compare ourselves to others. And we think, I need to make sure there's more fruit in my life. Because disciples have fruit in their life. And, and so we think, oh, I need to pray harder. I need to beg God for it. Or I need to, to fast more. I need to bargain with God for it. Or I need to study more. I need to binge on God. If I could just get enough of the word into me, then stuff's got to start happening. Or maybe we think we need to give more, and so we start bartering with God. If I give you this, God, you'll give me that. And if I give you this, and we start to this little barter game with God. Thing is, if you're unable to do those things because you're either, I don't know, too tired, <laughs> too busy, too weak, or you've never been taught how to do them, you conclude that you're a bit stuck. And you start to conclude that you've got a substandard faith and that that person over there got the, like, the premium version of faith and you kind of, you got the Aldi version. I mean, the Aldi version's all right, isn't it? But it's not as good as the premium version of, of faith. And you, feel, you start to feel a bit judged by those that are doing all those really amazing spiritual things. You feel like they're looking down on you because they're, they're praying and giving and doing all of this stuff. And, and you start to feel like you're not good enough, like you're a fraud or a fake well, you shouldn't be at church. You don't belong. And so you drop away from fellowship. And so you start to drop away from faith. And you start to avoid other believers. And you start to avoid God. You know, all of these things, they're what 
um, uh, Ken Legg, he's got an awesome book, This is the Life, some of you may have seen it, uh, what he calls a theology of deficiency. You know, we're saved, but we're deficient. We're lacking, we're missing something really vital. Can you relate to any of this? What to do? What to do? We've been given the riches of God's grace as an inheritance. You don't need to beg, bargain, binge or barter. You are sufficient in Christ. You are ample. You are enough. You are plenty. You are complete in Christ. That's the mystery of the gospel. 2 Peter 1.3. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power. Sounds pretty significant. Divine power, doesn't it? His divine power has granted to us... Nod your head if you're part of the us. Has granted to us all things. So which things? Some things or all things? All things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, Do you know what the word all means? All. It just means all, everything, all means all. It doesn't mean a bit, doesn't mean some, doesn't mean partial. All means all. We're going to have a look at the book of Colossians today. And we're going to have a look at six different reasons why we are already complete in Jesus. I could have called these six ways that salvation makes you complete or six reasons you can rest and stop trying harder to become more mature in your faith. Or I could have called it six truths about Jesus being enough, but you get the point, don't you? So the first, the first thing, the first little truth here is this. All things were created in Christ. All things were created in Jesus for Jesus Oh, in Jesus and for Jesus, he is the start, he is the middle, and he is the finish. So Colossians chapter 1, and you can turn there if you like, or we'll get it up on the screen even. Colossians 1 verse 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All means all. He is your start, he is your middle, and he is your finish. You don't need to go anywhere else because everything in life finds its place and its purpose and its foundation in him. Which means every time you ask the question, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Your answer will always start with the word Jesus. Okay? Your answer will not start with my career. It will not start with my relationships. It will not start with my ministry or my health or my kids. You know, when you ask yourself the question, why am I getting out of bed in the morning? Jesus, why am I loving my kids right now? 
when they're testing me? Jesus, why am I being patient and loving with my spouse? Jesus, why am I at church? Jesus, why am I being a good friend? Jesus, Jesus is your start, he's your middle, and he's your finish. And every question you ask about your life starts with the word, the answer starts with the word Jesus. Number two, our second truth. All the fullness of the Trinity is in Christ. So all the fullness of God is in Jesus. Not half of it, not some of it. He's not like one of those hybrid cars, you know, half nice, clean, green electricity and half dirty, polluting petrol or something. He's not a hybrid. Jesus was as human as you are, but he's also as divine as God the Father. Colossians 1.19 For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Or Colossians 2.19. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. All means all. If you have Jesus living in you, think about it. If you have Jesus living in you, what does that mean? Like, does that mean you've got half of God living in you? A bit of God, some of God, or all? Third truth, our sins are forgiven in Christ. We are made new in him. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He is taking it away, nailing it to the cross. What this means is that forgiveness is not maintained through repentance and confession. It is a done deal. We are eternally forgiven. And so to overcome the, the acts or the effects of sin, rather than, you know, repenting and confessing and trying harder the next time, we count ourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. We turn ourselves to Jesus and the cross. That's what we do at communion, isn't it? We are continually reorientating ourselves to Jesus at the cross, counting our sins as dead and our life as made new in him. We press into that new nature he's given us. You know that new nature, it is far stronger and far more superior than the old one. I think sometimes the way we act as Christians, we think that the old nature has more power than the new nature. But I tell you what, the new nature that Jesus gives you is far mightier than the old one. Number four. Every human being can be made complete in Christ. Paul's goal in preaching the gospel was that everyone would be made complete or made mature or made perfect in Christ. Colossians 2, 10 to 12. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off. 
when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The work of Jesus is for every person and it's not limited. The hope of glory is for everyone. You know, the hope of glory is for you and you and you and you. It's not just for some who manage to obtain some sort of level of spiritual maturity. It's for everyone who is in Jesus. All means all. Notice in, in this passage of read, the past tense. Notice the past tense. In Christ you have been. You were. You know, the old nature was put off, having been buried with him in baptism. It's all in past tense. That's really significant. Don't miss that. It's a done deal. It has happened. And what that means is you do not strive for fullness. You do not strive for fullness. The mystery of the gospel is that fullness has already arrived. All means all. Number five, all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Colossians 2, 2 to 3. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures, all of them, all means all. Do you need wisdom? Do you need wisdom? A couple of people do. I don't know, I do. I think wisdom's good. Do you need knowledge? Do you need revelation? How about insight, discernment? You know, you have access to them. Permission granted. Hey, you've got the right clearance level. This means you don't need to search for them, beg for them, strive for them. He fills us with his treasure. And what's the result? Well, you can't help but bear fruit. Seriously, if you're going to be filled with the treasure of Jesus, of course you're going to bear fruit. I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? It's natural. It's going to happen. And we can trust that when the Holy Spirit lives in us, he will bring us wisdom and revelation and we will bear fruit. We can be secure in this. You can be secure in that truth. So you know what? Let's, let's step into that truth. You know, there's, we, there's this, this full treasure chest of God's very self that we can access. His nature, his goodness. You know, you don't have to climb up that prayer mountain in like the snow and a hailstorm or something and dig a hole searching for the buried treasure of, of God's power and victory and spiritual stuff and knowledge and wisdom and revelation. You don't have to climb up that prayer mountain. You know, only the tough, devoted, fervent ones are going to be able to access that, aren't they? You know what? It's in your backpack. You got it with you. Hey, all of you, you're wearing it right now. Just reach in and pull it out. It's ready to use. We don't go after it because he's given it. He's given it to you. 
This is good news. Is this good news? This is good news. Colossians chapter 1, 9 and 10. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You access that backpack and you will bear fruit. You will grow in the knowledge of God and it's right there with you, ready to go. Number six. All things are under the authority of Christ. He is over every power and authority. He is over all of creation. He is the head of the church. He is supreme over all things. He is seated in the throne room of heaven at the Father's right hand. Colossians 2.10 And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He has disarmed the powers and authorities. He's humiliated them. He's triumphed over them. All of them, all of them, not just some of them, all of them. All means all. Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. What does this mean for us? Well, don't let people judge you or condemn you for not performing the correct spiritual practices. Don't be fearful about infecting yourself with spiritual darkness because you're participating in something deemed worldly. We don't need to, 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 to work hard to keep ourselves pure or holy or, or to work hard to be more appealing to the Holy Spirit by engaging in these, these things that, quite frankly, they are Old Testament law-based practices. You know, how can I be more pure, Lord? How can I be more holy? How can I be more acceptable to God through my religious or my spiritual practices? When we're starting to think like that, we're starting to think in terms of the law. In Christ, you were made pure. In Christ, you were free from darkness and corruption and death and sin. In Christ, you were made whole and pure and right. Colossians 2, 16 to 23. I think the best way I can explain this stuff to you is just to read it from the Word. It says it far better than I could. Colossians 2, 16 and following. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, uh, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle 
Do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with us, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. In Christ... You have been made free and pure and it is a gift. It is grace. Really all all Colossians 2 there is saying is, is, is don't be so super spiritual that you miss the whole point and the whole purpose and the whole power of the gospel. You know, with a new nature that he gives you, we, we no longer desire that stuff that is contrary to God. You know, we have a Jesus nature and we desire Jesus things. As we look to Jesus, as we set our minds on him, as we let his peace rule in our hearts, our behavior changes quite naturally. Our our needs and our wants start to change. We start to do things differently. We start to think differently. You know, we, we start to become more compassionate. We start to become more kind. And and this is from Colossians 3. You can read it later, Colossians 3. We start to become more humble. We start to become more gentle, more patient, more forgiving, more loving. There's a unity that starts to embrace us. There are no us and them in the kingdom of God or in the church. There's no more spiritual, less spiritual. More saved, less saved. More redeemed, less redeemed. More pure, less pure. More holy, less holy. We are all new people together. Together. We are people in grace together. Colossians 3, 10 and 11. We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We are members of God's royal family together and we work from our identity, not for it. No one can become royal by working hard. It's a title that's given you know, Prince, Prince William and Prince Harry, they're royal by birth, aren't they? It's a title given to them. Poor old Harry and Meghan have sort of copped it a bit lately, haven't they? You know, they want to leave the royal family and work to become financially independent. And they're going to no longer use their royal titles. They want to do it on their own. They want to earn a living on their own. You know, they respect and they honour the Queen and the royal family, but they want to do life on their own terms. They want to make their own success rather than receiving from the treasury of the British royal wealth and title. I wonder if we're ever like them. Are we ever like Harry and Meghan? You know, we respect and we honour the King, but we reject our inheritance. You know, we want to become spiritually rich on our own. We want to succeed in life on our own. We acknowledge we're members of the family, but we don't want to use our royal title or carry out duties in the name of the king or with the riches given to us by the king. 
You know, Harry and Meghan, they, they will still do things that look like they are, are royals. They'll do their charity events and their public appearances and all the media and stuff is still going to chase them, isn't it? They'll still do a lot of good. They'll still do a lot of good, but they'll be doing it under their own steam, on their own terms. They'll still seem like they're royals, but they won't be. You know, we can, we can do good works. We can heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. We can tithe, we can pray, we can fast, we can declare, we can claim, we can take hold, we can attend church, Bible studies, we can read the word. We can do a lot of stuff that looks like royal stuff, that looks like Christian stuff, that looks like spiritual stuff. But are we doing it as ones who access the riches of God's grace? Or are we doing it as ones who are earning it on our own terms? The gospel says, you have everything you need for a successful life in Jesus. And he's given it to you. And he continues to give it to you. You don't, you don't need to go to Canada to get it, do you? A good life is given and assured. All of the riches, the fullness, the perfection, the power, the goodness, the mightiness, the treasure of heaven. All of heaven's rule and reign comes and lives in you. Grace is at work. Jesus is living in you. Isn't that marvellous? Do you believe that? Doesn't that make you just want to sing for joy? Oh, there's nothing more special in the whole world than the gospel of grace. I'll end with the question I began with. How do we become rich? Because the answer is, in Jesus, we already are rich. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, just right now, we just sit here and we just delight in the fact that you have, you have gifted us with grace, that we are members of your royal family, that you have given yourself to us and that all of the treasures of the kingdom of God, all of your goodness, all of your, your mighty victory over sin and death has been given to us in grace. We thank you, Jesus, that, that in you, everything finds its place and its purpose and that we don't need to strive to, to be better Christians, that we don't need to strive to be better people, but that we just look to you. We look to what you have given us. So Jesus, would you just bring a deeper revelation of your grace into our hearts and our minds this afternoon? To just fill us with just the knowledge of your presence, the knowledge of your love. May we just feel and experience and know what it means to be a people in the kingdom of God who've been saved, who've been set free, who've been released, who've been restored, who've been made whole, who've been filled and equipped with every good and perfect gift, every spiritual gift, everything we need for living a good and a holy and a perfect life comes in you and through you and because of you and is in us because you live in us. Jesus, you are alive in us. 
And you know, I just invite, just while our heads are bowed, for anyone who maybe, maybe you've never really said, said yes to Jesus, maybe this grace stuff is new to you. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, you've heard about the gospel, but this whole not having to earn it or, or work hard for it, maybe, maybe it's new. Maybe you've, you, you've met Jesus for the first time this afternoon and, and you're thinking, you know, I, I, I need that Jesus in my life. I think the Jesus I had before was a counterfeit Jesus, but I need, I need his grace in my life. If that's you, you know, I just invite you to just, while our, our, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, to just respond to that call, that invitation. Jesus is calling you right now. He's saying, come, lay down your burdens Lay down your sorrows, lay down your, your sin, lay down your guilt, lay down your shame, lay it all down. And I'm going to take that and, and it belongs on the cross. I will deal with that stuff and in exchange I'm going to give you my life. In exchange I'm going to come and live in you. And you know all you need to do to cross that line of faith is to just say yes to Jesus. To just say yes Jesus, I, I, I need you to take all of my old self, my old nature and, and I, need, I need that new nature you offer. I say yes to you, Jesus. Come and live in my life today. Yeah, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the new life that you birth. We thank you for the new life that you are birthing right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you just come and invade um, those, those, those new vessels, and that you just fill those new vessels who have said yes to you this afternoon. We thank you for your good work in our church. We thank you that you are unifying us by your spirit and that in your grace we stand as the people of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you did cross that line of faith today or if you did encounter grace in a new or fresh way, I'd love to know about it. Come and tell me about it afterwards. Just come and, come and let me know because I really want to cheer you on in your journey. Okay, time for a cuppa, guys. Hey, it's going to be a good week, isn't it? You got that grace backpack on. Go for it. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>